0: Today, I'm talking to Stephen Shane of Compass in Aspen, Colorado. Ranked the second highest producing broker in Aspen, he is consistently ranked among the top residential real estate agents in the country. In short, he began his career on a trip to Aspen and never left. We talk about becoming and being a top real estate agent for the high net worth client. Thanks for listening to the Jerry Metcalf Podcast, where top real estate agents tell how they do it. This podcast was created for real estate agents across the country to come together, sharing ideas to take your, their, and our business to the next level. All right, everybody, it's the Jerry Metcalf Podcast, where top real estate agents tell how they do it. And today, we are honored to have the presence and I'm serious about that, of Stephen Shane, one of the top, top agents in Aspen, Colorado. We're, I claim him number one. He corrects me and says it's number two or three, but it's always in that range. Well, it's certainly
1: not number three. It's either one or two.
0: Exactly. I love it when he corrects me. So,
1: <laughs> hi, Jerry.
0: Hi. Thanks for being on the show. Good to see you and good to have you.
1: Thanks. Pleasure.
0: So, we're going to tap into, obviously you do. Aspen, I think, is the most expensive market in the country. Would that be accurate?
1: It's pretty expensive. Uh, I think a single family home here, average price is a little north of $5 million. Uh, Not to say you can't buy a two-bedroom, two-bath condo for $2 million, but uh, we've got a lot to offer. People aren't really paying for what's Inside the four walls, they're paying for four mountains. They're paying for a lifestyle, which uh, is pretty remarkable. We are an international resort destination, but we're also a true community.
0: So how did you find yourself in that real estate market? And let's get into how you became pretty much the best agent there.
1: Wow. Well, those are two stories. So story one is um, I used to vacation here as a single guy. It's a great place to come on your own because your days are full. Um, During the winter, obviously, you can be skiing or snowboarding and then après ski and then dinner, um, sleep, rinse, repeat. I mean... Not bad, and we have four mountains to choose from. So, I had a family business that I was involved in uh, in New York, retail boating supply stores, father and uncle who hated one another, and I would get caught in the crosshairs. And ultimately, I gave each a respectful ultimatum because I had to do it twice. They wouldn't go in the same room with one another. This is in 1994. Wow. We either sell the business, I'll buy you out. I'll pay you not to come in, or you can run it because this is silly. So it was a small business. We sold the business. Um, We sold it on Halloween. I ran the New York Marathon on the 4th or 6th of November, and I came here. I took a place sight unseen and gave myself this hiatus, pretty much a winter Season, a ski season, five months to figure out what I was going to do next because I needed to earn a living. And the first thing that struck me when I arrived here was the cost of real estate. And it didn't take long for me to go figure out that I should get my license. And that was really how I ended up in Aspen and ended up in this business. Um, To build the business, you have to believe in yourself. So I would continuously reinvest in myself and in my company um, to grow the business. And I think you should always do that. You know, you want to take care of your clients. They're entrusting you with expensive property. And we have a responsibility to market that property to the best of our ability. So I just kept on reinvesting in my brand. At that point in time, it was SDS Real Estate, which ultimately morphed into Shane Aspen Real Estate, which in turn I sold to our mutual parent company.
0: Which is Compass.
1: Compass, it is.
0: Yes. I don't even know if I mentioned that intro, but it won't be a secret as everybody knows <laughs> when we announced that we'll tag and everything. So you came in. I mean, it sounds like definitely if you've got any advice to anybody, invest in yourself, believe in yourself and know your stuff. What is it that makes, because a lot of people do that and they don't make it. What is it that gave you your competitive edge to be such a great broker and do such big deals. in first such all, a competitive all, industry, by the way.
1: All of your listeners should know how talented you are and what a top producing broker you are in Atlanta. I forgot to mention
0: I paid him everyone to mention and that.
1: I've got to imagine that uh, the business model isn't that different. So um, first of all, um, you got to get uncomfortable. So, the first big deal I did, uh, the Aspen Skiing Company is owned by the Crowns. Uh, The matriarch and patriarch are from Chicago, 92 and 94 years old, and they have seven children. So, early on in my career, you know, maybe a year in, I had dinner, my wife and I had dinner with Susan Crown, one of the seven siblings. And we drove her home and I knew she was building a home here and I'm dropping her off at her house. And I had to build up all my courage and say, so what are you going to do with this house, Susan, when you move into your new home? She said, I'm going to sell it. And I said, well,
0: can I sell it for you?
1: like i'm pretty nervous did
0: you say it just like that
1: i probably did i was young and nervous and uh so that's when i say sometimes you have to get uncomfortable uh and you know we have blurred lines here between friendships and clients and you know you just got to do it if you want to earn a living
0: so i want to know the rest of that conversation when you said so can I sell it for you or I could sell it for you? What was her response?
1: You know, I'm glad you asked because she's so smart. She's really smart. She's on the board of so many different companies. I think she now is the head of a, of a hospital also in uh, Chicago. I mean, very, very, bright woman. went to Yale. And her answer was so simple. Do you think you could sell it? And I said, I know I can sell it. She said, okay. So I met with her and her husband and we discussed the market and uh, I got lucky.
0: Well, there was, there was luck and then there was a little bit of action behind that to make the luck happen, <laughs> which I think might be the message of the story. Um, so, you know, you got lucky and you had, you know, got, had some nerve too and asked for the business. So that was a great start. How did you keep the momentum? So
1: our business, no matter what tools Compass provides us, and believe me, we both know they provide us with great tools. I mean, this is a company that is disrupting an antiquated industry and providing brokers with all sorts of tools to give them uh, a foot up versus our competition. But at the end of the day, the single greatest um, important component to whatever my relative success is, has been a referral network. Mm -hmm. Um, So Susan Crown referred business to me. And if you are going to be interacting with high net worth people, um, you better be able to provide them with a service. So if I, you know, Kiddingly, people, if, if you would ask me, hey, Stephen, you know, uh, where do your clients come from? And I'm asked all the time. And people, you know, remember, we're a resort destination, so most our clients are a second or third homeowner. And they're expecting to hear Los Angeles, Chicago, Miami, New York, Atlanta. Um,
0: Here's a few from Atlanta.
1: Yep. Uh, you know that. So... But really where my clients come from, finance, hedge hmm. funds, private equity, technology, business people. And these are bright, bright people. And let me say this. I mean, I have a client who is worth I don't know, yeah, 12 billion. His expectation Is that I'm an expert in my field much like he's an expert in his field. He's not going to micromanage what I do. I just better perform and I better have the right information when he asks for it. Um, So I think that you have to be comfortable if you're going to be selling expensive property, you have to be comfortable interacting with highly successful people and you better have substance and content behind what you have to say because if you think that you're winging it with these guys and gals, you're kidding yourself. So, you know, a referral network being well-informed and being able to speak the language of your clients.
0: Mm-hmm. So, referral, well-informed, and speak the language. Elaborate a little bit on what you mean by that.
1: Instead of touting or tooting my own horn, the That's most, success- for. The most okay. successful general contractor in Aspen. Okay. So, the guy who's building homes for the high net worth clients who I can't find a home for and we have to settle on land. Um, He's well-traveled, this general contractor. He understands wine, he understands art. So when you're interacting with clients who enjoy and appreciate the finer things in life, it's helpful to be able to understand their perspective and, for ha- and, and to have them know that you understand their perspective. And that really is helpful in, in instilling confidence. The single greatest thing that we can do is instill confidence in our clients. They need to be confident that you have a clear understanding of what works for them and what's going to make them happy. And they're different. Each person's different. Yeah. Some people are value buyers. Some people need a legacy home that's gonna be a multi, multi-generational property, not only for themselves, but for their children, and then ultimately their ge- grandchildren for years to come. Um, you, you've got to understand where your client mm-hmm. is coming from and be able to speak their language?
0: So on, well, there are a couple of things because I think on understanding and speaking their language, you could build build a big house. And there's an assumption that if you build a big house and put expensive stuff in it, it's a nice house. And that is the most dangerous place to be in knowing the difference in those things. Um, I think you know that, but I just had to say it. On that topic, I found there are a lot of different schools of thought on this and I'd love to know yours in developing relationships with clients and understanding their lifestyle. You see people who go into that market and rub elbows and want, and are friends and their strategy is be friends with everybody. And then you see the other one that's, I don't, I don't want to be your friend. I don't need to be your friend. I understand your lifestyle, speak your language, but you're the professional, which Avenue do you recommend or do you find has made you more successful or other brokers or,
1: no, you're 100% right, and and that goes back to what I'm saying. You have to understand your client. So there are, you know, certain clients who are very practical, very pragmatic, um, and don't want to establish a relationship or a friendship, and that's fine. As a matter of fact, it's easier. Um, there's others who, especially coming here, Jerry uh, we're delivering a lifestyle. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I'm a member of the Maroon Creek Club. I'm a member of the Mountain Club. I mean, these are places where high net worth people, when they move here, most likely would like to become members. And, um, that's important as well. So there isn't any standard There's nothing that just always works. You've got to be nimble. You've got to be both proactive and reactive and understand who you are dealing with. You know, it's the Mm -hmm. same thing trying to get a listing. I mean, you know, it's highly competitive. And when you're speaking to somebody who's considering listing their home, Yes, I could say, generally speaking, most people would like to have the best possible price they can, the highest price they can. But there are instances where it's more about selling it quickly. You know, if somebody wanted to sell something in a hurry to be able to go out and buy something else. So once again, um, there's no standard. You've got to listen. You've got to be creative. And um, I would say that one of my strengths is that I have a business background and I'm applying my business acumen, my business background to real estate. And uh, that works.
0: So creative. I think that might be what's kept me in this business for so long is the opportunity to be creative. And I think there are a lot of people that don't know what that means. Um, and maybe it means different things to different people. So tell us a little bit, because I think that is one of your strengths that I was going to get out of you. Um, what is it, end to do any big deals, there's gotta be a certain level of creativity from winning the business to making the deal work. Give us a few examples of how you've done that.
1: Wow. So I remember that there was a guy who had a house, <laughs> He had a house in the west end of Aspen and he was a single guy, um, an older gentleman, very, very smart, Harvard and private equity partner and a hunter and, you know, outdoorsman. And he met a gal. And this house was not going to work for this gal. So I went and showed them property. And I remember because, well, I'll tell you in a second. So what ended up happening is, you know, this guy said to me, I'm willing to go out and buy something else But I only want to pay X. And I knew that he was going to have to sell his existing home. So I said to him, you know, instead of telling me that you're only going to pay X, why don't we do it this way? Why don't you, why don't we figure out the delta that you're willing to pay? The Mm -hmm. difference between the sale of this house, your existing house, And the purchase price of the new home. Because that's really what we're talking about. And I have a sneaky suspicion I can get you more than you would expect for your existing home. So what ended up happening is that increased the opportunity of the purchase price. Okay, it raised the bar. Mm -hmm. And then I remember on December 31st, I don't remember what year it was. But I sold that house. Bought the other house. I also brought the buyer to the house that he sold. And the house that we were buying was unlisted. So I had four sides. Wow. Yeah. Um, and, and I'm talking about, you know, 12 and 50. I mean, I, it was a $51 million day in, in, in dollar volume, but it was the creativity that he appreciated mm-hmm. that allowed us to get that done. So, um, it's about listening. I knew, it wasn't what he, it wasn't a ceiling of what he was willing to spend on the new home, it was the delta, the difference between the sale of the existing home and how much Mm -hmm. he was willing to come out of pocket above and beyond that for the new home. So that's one example. Um, Most recently, I had, brought a buyer to a piece of land that I had listed for sale. So I represented the seller of the land and I represented the buyer. And as things would have it, the buyer who bought that land decided that he was no longer interested in building a home, but he would like to go and buy something else. But for him to buy something else, he needed the cash that he had bought the land. So when we would negotiate, so so a broker in my office, I told him mm-hmm. that there was a great opportunity to buy this land. Does he have any buyers? And he did. So what? So. so the great opportunity for the broker in my office's buyer would only be a great opportunity for my seller if in fact he got the cash in a hurry so mm. the way we design the deal is that i don't know about in atlanta in aspen generally earnest money is 5% of the purchase price mm-hmm we needed a million dollars the land was going to trade uh, a little bit north of two so the way we designed the deal is that the buyer would release a million dollars to the seller not held by the title company and then he could close in the future whenever he liked it didn't make a difference to us we just needed the million to go out and buy the house that The seller yeah. is interested in. Is this getting a little bit...
0: No, this is good. This is. Good. I'm just thinking about my own transactions. No, this is great. So, I'm just I'm letting... Normally, I would have interrupted you by now, but I want you to keep... I'm working on not interrupting, and I want you to keep going.
1: So all I'm saying is that yeah. nothing is straightforward. Everything usually takes some level of thinking outside the box.
0: And I think there's a couple of points to that, too, is that when you're dealing with clients there's a lot of buzz out there around brokers. Our our industry is unfortunately, you know, saturated and there's a lot of buzz of, you know, not buzz in the wrong world, there's a lot of just push or existence of this push people, call people, call people, get the deal, get between the person, get between two people doing a deal and collect a commission. There's just this feeling out there, I think, sometimes in our industry. And there's so much more to it than that. When you run into a problem, don't think that doesn't mean there's not a deal. That's the reason why you're industry exists in the first place. That's what you're there for. And you've got to have some experience for confidence, but you just got to, to get that experience, get a little uncomfortable. And that gives you the experience and just empathy. There's just a little bit of applying empathy to these situations to go, okay.
1: I'm so glad you said that. And
0: the resources that you've got.
1: But and what you, re- you hit the nail on the head. You, you call it empathy. Okay. I say, and I tell this to both of my assistants who are absolutely remarkable. One's young, one is seasoned. Um, Business is nothing more than people. We are all people. And you've got to put yourself into the shoes of the person that you're dealing with, okay? They have a perspective. And, you know, if you have a house that you have listed, what's very, very difficult, I don't know if you find it difficult, uh, sometimes is when you have both sides of a deal. Mm -hmm. Okay, so for non-real estate people listening, and again, I think it translates nationally, but typically when you are representing a buyer, you are what's called a selling broker, which is a little confusing, same here. Right. And then you represent a seller and you're the listing broker. On the occasion when you are now representing both because you had the listing and a buyer reached out directly to you because of your commitment to marketing and advertising, then you revert to or you change to a transaction broker. hmm do you guys do that as well?
0: We just, they, call, they, well, I don't want to be ignorant live on my own podcast, but I'm pretty safe to say they actually call it dual agency where you technically represent both, but that kind of is the same thing. You end up representing neither. So, so we which, usually, you're right.
1: You're right. You represent the deal. you will yeah. work on behalf of the transaction. And that's
0: usually how I communicate. It. Or you can, you can often go, okay, the listing was mine first. So they, they're my client. So I'm representing the seller and the buyer's transactional, or you can designate the buyer to a broker. I mean, I'm sure you can do that. But ultimately, usually those situations, it becomes you're really representing the deal, however they want to say it legally.
1: And, the, and, and what you've got to do is you've got to play it right down the middle. You can't be, you know, you can't lean to the left or lean to the right. You've got to just work on behalf of the deal. And um, that's when things can get complicated. I'm doing a deal right now where... I've been working with this buyer for quite some time. And then he became interested in one of my listings. And it's rough. I mean, the house has a lot of deferred maintenance. There is an executor of, so what happened is the listing has, um, it's in a trust of, I think it's four siblings. And there's an executor appointed to manage that trust. So he is negotiating on behalf of these four siblings. Mm. Uh, The buyer goes, also my client, and does all his due diligence, including an inspection. And there is a significant amount of deferred maintenance in the house. So now he requests that I not only submit an offer, but he'd like an email accompanying the offer that calls out all the deferred maintenance, which kind of substantiates his request for a significant um, credit at closing so he can resolve the issues. Um, And again, when we're talking about creativity and we're talking about people, And managing people, Mm. you can't just go to the seller, who's also your client, and say, "Hey, your house is in a terrible state of disrepair." Actually, I did do that, but your house is in a terrible state of disrepair. (laughs) You've got to
0: be honest, right? But you've got to be careful how you say it, or right, communicate
1: exactly, right? I mean, you've got to come
0: as the problem solver, not as the one that's in, you know, that they that you don't want to shut down on you.
1: No, no, but you know, they have to have a clear understanding. And and by the way. Here, if there's a latent defect, a material latent defect, mm-hmm. the seller's responsible to disclose that oh, to, yeah. the, to the next buyer. By the way, yeah. so are we as brokers. Newsflash, so You know
0: about it, but yeah.
1: Well, yeah. everybody read the inspection report, so the value of this property could be diminished significantly, so I would give some serious thought to embracing this offer, etc, etc. But again, everybody's a person. They're going to find it distasteful that the perspective is that they let the home go, whether mm-hmm. they did or they didn't. So how you deliver that message has a lot to do with how you're going to manage your clients. So,
0: and any advice, because I know you, you really value... It's tempting, I think, to a lot of brokers to just make their clients feel good about a situation, which can be to the detriment of them. You've said to me before to acquiesce is a disservice. So, how do you, how do you, do you have any advice on walking that fine line of not acquiescing, but keeping them, keeping their ears and their minds open to you?
1: Yes. Surprisingly.
0: What is that? I'm telling you. Good. So-
1: You know, never lose sight of the fact that we are providing a service. And this goes back to things we were discussing earlier. You need to be well-versed, you need to be knowledgeable, you need to be the expert. The hedge fund guy isn't expecting me to pick stocks. The private equity guy isn't expecting me to value a company that they're thinking of acquiring. They're expecting me to be knowledgeable of Aspen, Colorado's real estate. And I am. Mm -hmm. So I will not let, no matter who is talking, a unsubstantiated statement go unchallenged. If one of my clients, let's say it's a buyer, said... um, now, all the other pr- properties in the neighborhood are trading at 1250 a square foot. I don't understand why this seller is asking 1800 a square foot. Actually, Mr. Buyer, the fact of the matter is or Mrs. Buyer that no, things aren't trading at 1250 a square foot. The last six sales were at 1650 a square foot on the average, and this home has a superior location, better views, was built more recently. So, you may not want to pay that, and i get it, and we're going to try to get the best deal we can, but we got to make sure that our facts are accurate, or we're going to get no traction with the seller and the seller's broker. So that's what I mean, okay? Mm-hmm. If you're just going to nod because you're fearful that you're going to lose your client, you're doing that client a disservice, and you're going to ultimately lose them anyway. Mm-hmm. You've not to be knowledgeable. I don't think that you need to be argumentative, but gosh, if somebody makes a statement that's inaccurate, newsflash, you got to let them know.
0: All right. New question, kind of on a new topic. Listings in your market and you're well-established in your market, but regardless of that, do you find yourself being called into listing appointments and presentations competing with multiple brokers, or do you find yourself just being called as the guy and they sign up or what's the ratio of how much you compete and don't? So
1: first of all, let everybody listening know that if you want to become a real estate broker and you want to be a successful real estate broker, 24 seven. Okay. 24 seven. So this weekend. So
0: Friday, you can say Friday. that again, because I think that's essential. Like it's painful, but true. I'm just telling yeah.
1: anybody and everybody, if you want to be successful in this business, your phone rings and you need to be readily available 24 seven. Mm-hmm. Friday. So today is we're doing this podcast on Monday. On Friday, I was heading out of Aspen and my phone rang. And it was a woman who owns an expensive townhome in Aspen. And she's going back to Houston. And she's leaving in the morning. She said, when can you be here? Five minutes. U-turn, pick up my right-hand person, Carla, my assistant, also a broker. Here we go. Showtime. And we spend an hour with this woman. She tells, she goes on to tell me that she also owns a ranch Hmm. about a half hour out of town. When can I go see the ranch? I said, now. And then I went and I saw this ranch. I mean, this is a... 20 million dollar property, 150 acres. So I get a call this weekend after following up with her and her husband um, from her uh, asking a variety of questions that was on Saturday and then the same yesterday Sunday and the point of the matter is that in this particular instance and she went out and, and you know straight straightforward and said it's between you and this other broker and um, you know I would say that at this point in time in my career 60% of the time The listing is mine, and forty percent of the time, I will be competing with somebody else.
0: Any advice on competing for a listing?
1: Know know the value that you're bringing to the Mm -hmm. table, Um, and then speak to the value um, that you're bringing to the table. You know there's 660 brokers in Aspen, and there's six of us who do the lion's share of the business. So I am pretty confident I know who I will be up against. Right. So, you know, you can't win them all as much as I would like to. Uh, One of the reasons that I joined Compass or sold my company to Compass in 2016, Jerry, I don't know if I ever told you this story. I probably have. So in I don't know.
0: We'll find out. Yeah. Okay. So in
1: 2016, I sold $189 million in real estate. That's a lot of real estate for a town of to 7,000 people.
0: Yes, I would say so. $189 million. 189 million.
1: The broker in front of me, so I was number two that year. The guy in front of me sold 200 million and the broker below me sold 150 million, round numbers. Mm -hmm. So people would ask me when I eventually sold my company to Compass, why fix something that's not broke or broke in? And in, in this instance, the broker in front of me that sold the 200 million had 80 listings. The broker behind me who sold the 150 million had 40 listings. Stephen Shane of Shane Aspen had 20 listings.
0: I remember this, you did tell me. I that.
1: wasn't getting my fair share of listings. Okay, I mean, it's just that simple. Why? Okay, I'm doing the I business. would just
0: say you're really productive. You can do 189 million with 20 listings compared to your competition with over double that.
1: But we all know that listings are great. Yeah. It allows us to market and advertise property and put 600 some odd brokers to work on our behalf to show our listing and Mm -hmm. I'm getting my fair share. So, you know, at the end of the day, I just realized that the perception of sellers, because we're in a perception business, the perception of sellers is pretty simple. They thought that Sotheby's or Caldwell Banker or whomever had a great national and potentially international reach that an independent like myself did not have.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And they don't want to make a mistake, so they go with, at that point in time, and this is four years ago, a proven performer. Mm-hmm. The proven performer being either Sotheby's or Caldwell or whatever. Um, naturally, since then, Compass has emerged. I think we're the number one independently owned company nationally. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we're number, the number
0: one, in- go ahead.
1: You're number one in Atlanta
0: In sales volume. That's
1: fantastic. In the country
0: In the country compass in the, I don't know where we rank in Atlanta. We're, I mean, we're 10% mark, 11%, but by the time this releases in two weeks, we'll be at like 20. I mean, I
1: did you just say Compass Can't is number sales volume in the country
0: compass? Yes. No, I'm pretty sure we do. We're up there.
1: Realogy. Wheel- which owns both, and this is how they show it. They Well, if you break it, so be, well, the,
0: yeah, right. We've crushed it. We've absolutely
1: yeah. crushed it. Yeah. Because yeah.
0: Realogy is like how many companies? Seven?
1: A lot. A lot.
0: It's a lot. I can't lot. remember how many. It's a lot.
1: So... That was why I made the change I did. That's why I sold the company. I mean, I, it became very apparent to me that this, let's call it a uh, Silicon Valley style company based out of New York with mm-hmm. these co-founding CEOs that are rock stars. One of them actually looks like a rock star. Um, you know, that was the direction to go. I mean, I was solicited by... Sotheby's by Christie's. I mean, when I say solicit, I was flown to Berkshire Hathaway, to Mauricio, Marissimo, whatever his name is at the agency in LA, all of these companies, not because I'm so terrific, just based on numbers. I was the number yeah. one independent and I was either number one, two, or three in sales as a broker. And, uh, if I was going to make a change, I was going to make a change. I was going to make a difference and mm-hmm. that was compass.
0: So how did you know, why Compass or how did you know Compass? I mean, you told me a little, but I mean, you've, it's not like you didn't have options. So is it the technology? Is it probably the technology and the access we have to targeted marketing? Or is it so you fresh, have, new you asked, one in a market?
1: You asked two questions. How, how did it know? happen Compass? Okay. So more interesting is how it happened. And, and so I was sitting in my office and this young fellow walked in and asked if he could speak with me. And I spoke with him and he said, you know, I would love to establish a referral arrangement relationship between myself and you. I'm based, uh, with Compass in New York. And he had a compass brochure or kind of a company profile I said, let me take a look at that. And I thumbed through it and I said, you're making a mistake. You don't want to have a referral network arrangement relationship with me. You want your company to buy my company. So in short order, I was put in touch with the appropriate people at Compass. And then I met with both, uh, well, I met with Robert Refkin. Mm-hmm. Uh, And we know his background. I mean, Mm -hmm. talking about a superstar. Yeah. And uh, I mean, this is a guy, I mean, let's face it. (laughs) This is an African-American Jewish man whose father died homeless on the streets, whose single Israeli mother raised him. He graduated Columbia in two years, then got his MBA from Columbia. Then he ran fifty marathons, one in each state for Mm -hmm. charity. By the way, he did that in three years, which is better than a marathon a month. Um, Then he was a fellow at the White House, and Mm -hmm. then
0: where he met Ori.
1: Where he met Ori, then went Goldman Sachs.
0: Yeah, well, you know, when he um, when he he graduated from university, I mean Columbia University, but when he was in high school. His high school counselors told him, don't bother applying for Columbia University because it's expensive and it's hard to get into and you won't get in. But he applied to Columbia University and I think it was like 50 other colleges just to make sure. And of course, he I mean, that's like the beauty of it.
1: I think his mother applied for every potential, you know, financial aid scholarship that, I mean, it's a remarkable story. He's a remarkable guy. Uh, Ori, uh, sold his last two businesses to Google and Twitter. I mm-hmm. think He owns an Israeli basketball team.
0: It's like if there's anybody we'll align with, it's pretty uh, outstanding and Ori kind of has the connections. Ori lined us up with, you know, it's just, they, he's, he's between the two of them, they pull it all together and make the magic happen. It's unbelievable. I
1: agree. And, uh, yeah. So to me, to, to make a move and have it be one of the companies that has been around forever and isn't making any inroads, isn't making any changes, you know, that wasn't for me. Um, I see technology take place. I'm older. It's not my strongest skill set, so I surround myself with a company and people who are gonna be highly supportive and implement these platforms that Compass provides on my behalf and our company's behalf. And uh, it's been great.
0: So, we've got the three final questions. Actually, I actually have uh-huh. more questions for you, but I'm not gonna ask because we'll end up talking for two hours and we don't wanna do that. And neither I, one of us can afford that. I appreciate
1: that. that, thank you.
0: Time is, is the, the we, last we luxury,
1: hero, you know? As our friend A- Leonard can- says. People can binge watch your podcasts with Steve. Actually, they, two. some of them
0: do. Okay. <laughs> so the final three. Yes. Number one, what is a tool that you have found other than your phone? And it could be an assistant, it can be a CRM, it can be an app, it can be a something you do socially to develop your business, whatever. What have you found most profoundly impactful? On your business that you don't think you could do without?
1: This is going to be the most boring answer you ever heard. Good. And you're going to be very surprised. Email. I told you it was boring. But let me <laughs> take it a step further.
0: All right, good friend.
1: Okay. People don't know how to. Convey or articulate their thoughts. And the beauty of email, which I understand is not cutting edge, is that you can draft something, reread it, send it when you want to send it, and the reader or the recipient can read it when they want to read it. Again, really simple stuff. But I would say that one of my greatest strengths is the simplicity of conveying and articulating my thoughts via email and making sure that if I'm answering questions, every question that was asked of me is answered and answered correctly. Um, So, you know, I could have said FedEx.
0: Well, (laughs) FedEx is a good one. On the email, you can even have canned emails, and you can schedule when they go out, which is kind of nice.
1: Well, it's also tied in to a certain extent, and I'm using this now with the help of, I'm giving my assistants names, Carla and Tatiana, who are absolutely critical to my relative success. But Tatiana manages the CRM. So... One of my weaknesses would certainly be not continuously reaching out to Mm. potential clients, people Mm -hmm. who I spoke to once, right? Because not everybody is buying tomorrow. So we can use Compass's CRM platform and I receive tasks each day of who I should be reaching out to. That's really great. And more often than not, yes, it's done via email.
0: So next question, if there is a book that you would recommend, and I've asked you this before and I've forgotten your answer, so I can't wait to hear what it is, what would it be?
1: And remember, you gave me
0: you got it. I thanked you. Oh, just kidding.
1: You give me this, and I will read this because it came from you, and you know I respect you.
0: Never split After the long difference long for everybody listening. Everybody knows I'm a big fan.
1: So, yeah, this Chris Voss, was was he the uh, hostage negotiator? Or yes. Is it, oh, yes, yes. Chris
0: Voss. So, um, Tal Rise was the not really Ghostwriter, I think he's on the book, but he's the writer-writer, but it's, Chris, it's Chris's story and Chris's right. everything, yeah.
1: So my answer had nothing to do with real estate. My answer was the favorite novel that I ever read.
0: Oh, was, no, just kidding. Next question, <laughs> tell oh, us your novel. Really? Everybody's gonna wanna know. What is it?
1: Shadow of the Wind by Carlos Ruiz, Saffon, Z A F F O N, I think, and uh, it takes place in Barcelona. It's the coming of age of a young man, and there's a lot of twists and turns, and it's beautifully written. It was originally written uh, in Spanish. Mm. I read it in Spanish. Um, Kidding. You didn't mention your bilingual. Kidding. No. Oh, good. Okay. My daughter could read it in Spanish. Uh, I read it in English and I love it. So I know it isn't a book that is a real estate book. And I know it's not a self-help book, but you know what? I think it's very important that we also find time to kind of hide. And if you can get lost in a great novel, I highly recommend this to you. And I'm going to have
0: to read it. Thank you. I'm going to have to read it. I don't read novels often enough. All right. Last question. If there's one thing that we remember and we just forget everything else in this interview, what should it be?
1: Wow. You know, my father taught me to work hard. And I do. I am sure I outwork the great majority, virtually every broker here. I get up at 4.30 in the morning, and I start, of course, I go to sleep at 8.30, but so be it. Tell uh, us
0: what that looks like.
1: Well, if you think about it, at 4.30 in the morning, if you're sitting at your kitchen table with your laptop, nobody's bothering you.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: The first time you're bothered is from Leonard's daily email.
0: 7 a.m. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Which always doesn't awesome. miss a day. By the way, it's 5 a.m. Just... It's 5 a.m. my time.
0: Oh, that's right right? Yeah.
1: Um, but it's a great time to really focus and get those well-written emails off. You may not receive a response for a few hours, but that's great. But my father taught me to work hard. I think most importantly, and we never really said this, but it kind of encapsulates everything that we did say and that is to work smart. Mm -hmm. Um, So once again, remember, business is nothing more than people. If I have an opportunity to hire somebody who's highly knowledgeable of real estate by comparison to hiring somebody who has likability, Mm-hmm. I'll take likability every day and teach that person real estate. You can't teach likability. Um, so I don't know if that answered your question, Jerry. It
0: did. That was a great answer. Okay. It was a great, we're going to do the one-liner right there at the end. That was so good. I loved it. <laughs> that was awesome. I mean, I think that, that sums it up. I mean, really, you can't teach likability
1: No. And I mean, you
0: can't, you've got a special sense of humor. Everybody I talked to is like, that Stephen Shane's hilarious. I mean, I
1: I was talking into a computer, but
0: forget the whole interview. Everybody just be likable. That's all you need to know. End of story. I like it. All right. That was awesome. Thank you. I'm going to hang on.